Internet's all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Hi, this is Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers, co-hosted by Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Dr. Ellen Adler. We are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. And this show is a continuation of the Leaders Playbook show, and I'm really excited to have Dr. Kathy Greenberg as a co-host. We'll introduce her in a second. Uh, we talk with Kathy about happiness and optimism and some of the great research and writing that she is doing to help turn happiness into profit a few months back. And I'm glad that Kathy is willing to share her expertise with us more regularly. She's a wealth of information. She's worked at some of the bigger consulting firms and really brings a, a great um, focus on how to be balanced in life and knows the ins and outs of what it's like in the corporate world. Uh, Kathy Greenberg is an internationally recognized authority on leadership and human behavior, an executive coach, author, and trainer. And currently, she's a partner in New Venture H2C, which stands for Happy Companies, Healthy People. She's appeared in the Wall Street Journal, London Times, the Financial Times, Australia's The Boss, and our most recent book, What Happy Women Know, uh, is, was featured in Oprah, and she co-authored What Happy Companies Know, How the New Science of Happiness Can Change Your Company for the Better. So, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Raleigh. It's, it's a pleasure to be working with you on this program going forward. And uh, we really want to bring our listener the absolute best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help everyone that is listening develop more leaders and be better leaders in their organizations. And we know leaders are the heartbeat of the organization. You know, most leaders... Um, underestimate just how much influence they have over others. And as a result, uh, they and their teams often will underperform. But doing a very few things differently can drastically improve performance and the organization's ability to deliver profit. And so what uh, you and I are going to do on these programs and help others learn about are how to develop more leaders uh, in organizations, what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence, and positive psychology strategies that we're going to teach people on air, some of the what we call brain and neuroscience contributions to top performance, generational and gender differences that are going to impact us in the next few years, especially the work around the millennials, some of the work-life balance practices that will help people be better leaders and better performers, and strategies for managing your boss, which is one of my favorites, self-management tools to help be your best, and many more tools and tips that both you and I can share from our uh, award-winning books. And I'm so excited today to begin our our new partnership by introducing uh, a very talented executive coach. Today's guest uh, and our topic is Alistair Robertson, and we're going to be talking with Alistair about leaders' personal mastery. 
And that's a really interesting topic for Alistair to be talking about because he's an expert on leadership development, but in a very different way from many experts because he doesn't come from an academic background. He's from the pragmatic environment of the business world where leaders who are developing can rapidly impact business performance, and that is so important. And, uh, Kathy, what I wanted to do before we bring on Alistar is just talk about uh, what we know about leadership development. I think one of the things that you and I both share is a real value for research, evidence-based practices, and things that are very, very practical. And I think that's what's great having Alistar as our uh, first guest on this and someone who's really been um, in the trenches and, and knows about leadership. So before we bring him on, let me just mention a few things just about leadership that we know about what works with leadership. We know you can increase performance by as much as 77% while increasing your your life and professional satisfaction by as much as 50% with coaching. Both Kathy and I are uh, executive coaches, certified executive coaches. And we also know that you can increase profit by creating a coaching network inside your company in just one day. Studies show that happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. And Kathy is an expert in all the research around happiness and what um, that brings to organizations. We also know, this focusing on leadership development news, that leaders have 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. And we mentioned earlier, most leaders uh, that I work with just don't realize how much influence they really have. And part of that is around their emotions. Emotions are contagious, and leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. If they are upset and irritated, their team most likely is upset and irritated. If they're calm, cool, collected, their team most likely is calm, cool, collected. And the idea of being a star performer, we define as someone being in the top 10%. And one of the key areas is this aspect of emotional intelligence, help someone be in the top 10%. As a matter of fact, if you look at how smart someone is, their IQ, and technical expertise, the aspect of emotional intelligence brings about 85% of the success factors to the individual. And the more a leader moves up in the organization, the more they, they need emotional intelligence. We'll have Alistair focus in on, on some of his experience with that. And why, do we, why are we focusing so much on leaders this, with leadership development news? Leaders in the top 10% we know produce twice as much revenue to the organization as managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. So getting people into that top 10% really makes a big difference. And in the show, we want to give you hands-on practical tools. And so what we like to think about is these micro-initiatives, small things people can do, can create macro-impacts. For, for listeners who are uh, interested in getting more information about leadership and coaching for your organization, Dr. Kathy Greenberg uh, is at www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. And if you're interested in getting in touch with me, uh, I'm at www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And Kathy, do you want to introduce Alistair? Oh, it would be my honor. Um, Alistair Robertson, as I said, is an expert on leadership development, but very different from other experts in that he comes from the business world. And that's where we see the real development of leaders rapidly making an impact. Alistair was a business executive for more than 20 years with top companies, including Mars, 
PepsiCo and Pillsbury, and if those aren't some just family-oriented organizations and well-known organizations, I don't know who are, um, before joining uh, the consulting world where I met him to help companies develop leader styles and behaviors matched to the needs of their business strategies and performance goals. And that's a key in our conversation today, matching those key performance skills to the environment. That's what Alistair's going to talk about. Alistair and I originally joined forces at Accenture, where we were both partners for many years, and Alistair worked all over the world helping top executives develop as leaders with the grain of their motives and personalities well understood. And we're going to hear more about this in a moment. We also did the research that led to our best-selling book called Global Leadership, The Next Generation, and uh, that book was co-authored by Alistair and myself, Marshall Goldsmith, and it became a part of a central launch that Alistair has spoken at at many conferences worldwide from India and South Africa to the Czech Republic and Australia on the topic of leadership. And Alistair now runs his own business and continues to coach and develop leadership teams around the globe. And I want to introduce him now, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you, Alistair, to the show. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you, Riley. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you. You know, Alistair, um, we have a series of questions that we want to ask you, and then uh, we'll be pretty open to go where are the, anything that seems to be catching our attention. But I think it would be helpful for the listeners. Tell us about your background and maybe just experience in leadership development. Well, as Cathy said, you know, I, I didn't come out of the, uh, the the sort of classic academic world of leadership experts, but spent 20 years. I'm actually a trained chemist, and uh, you know, it, it seems strange that uh, after 20 years practicing, you know, real life hands-on chemistry with products, I'm now dealing with human chemistry, which is what this program is all about today. Uh-huh. And uh, I really got into leadership development when I first moved into consulting in the in the days of Total Quality, which became Reengineering. And that really starts you thinking that, you know, you want to change the way a business works to, to perform better, that uh, sometimes the biggest impediment to that is not the people in the lower ranks of the business, it's the people at the top, because they have the most personal equity vested in the way things are and were, and therefore, you know, the most to lose, as they might see it themselves, when, when they start to change things. So that begs the question, well, if you want to change a business, either from the inside or the outside, what would you do with the top? 10, 20, 50, 100 executives, and, and how would that impact the way the business changed in, in terms of speed and, and impact on profit and performance? So that gets you into the area of leadership development. What would you do with leaders? How would you handle them? How would you help them face up to this? And uh, how would you help them create a passion for the future, which is you know, what transformational leadership is all about? So, so Alistair, it sounds like, uh, and, and Kathy knows this because you guys work together, but so you really helped... Um, develop leadership programs for a, a series of organizations where where they would you'd really earmark the top, like you said, you know, ten to hundred leaders. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to pick up on something you said just then, which is leadership programs. Uh, I have a fundamental sort of antipathy, in a way, to you know, by rote training uh, of leadership developers. Um, in in that, I think leaders are best developed in what Bob Thomas and Warren Bennis call crucibles um, of leadership in which they're tested. Mm-hmm. So helping people uh, really face up, look themselves in the mirror, realize what they have inside, and then immediately apply that to a challenge and see the reward they can get from having, having deployed themselves in a different way against that challenge. I think that's the way leadership development works best. 
versus just sitting in a class learning something. So really having the kind of the hands-on uh, experience of applying yeah. some of the principles. Exactly. I think the hands-on experience helps you realize exactly how to deploy yourself. Uh, otherwise, sitting in the classroom is a very different environment than the real live world of, you know, the, 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 the coalface. And um, when you get back into that real world, the crises hit and people typically revert to type. They revert to what they were comfortable with before and that works against developing themselves and it works against change. Okay, great. Well, we're going to go to our first break and then we'll be uh, right back talking about leadership and, and personal mastery. And this is uh, Leadership Development News. Bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a twig set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadylocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors cried the second. I hope it has the bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org, and from energyhog.org she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy, and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org, or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcasts live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're 
are listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, welcome back to Leadership Development News. This is Kathy Greenberg with Rowling Adler and Alistair Robertson, our guest for today. And uh, I'm not sure if you're just tuning in, but if you've been listening, you'll notice that Alistair Robertson, who is a former partner with Accenture and an independent global leadership consultant, has a bit of an accent. So, Alistair, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a personal trek here. And one of the things we like to ask our um, our guests on the show, and we will do throughout the year, is who or what have been your greatest teachers? And I think coming from a little bit of a different perspective here, you might have some different teachers that we'd like to uh, know about. And then let's go back to the discussion we were having about the crucibles of leadership that produce the best leaders. Well, I'll I'll pick up on the the source of my, my origins being from the U.K., um, as part of the answer to this question, because typically, and I'm generalizing rather dramatically now, uh, it, the UK doesn't go for, you know, um, self-awareness too much. I mean, we're, we're brought up, certainly when I was brought up, you know, 50 plus years ago, it's, uh, you know, stiff upper lip and you just, if you don't like something, you grind it out and you get on with it. And I remember my dad telling me when I was going into the world of work, he said, son, he said, you're supposed to have a job. He said, you're not supposed to like it necessarily, you're just supposed to do it. And so self-awareness is not something that the British are uh, real strong on. So I think I had a lot of sources of inspiration as to where I might be going with this whole notion of leadership from pinpoint places, you know, executives I'd worked for. I remember one executive back at Mars who used to spend quite a bit of each day, you know, sitting with his feet up on the desk in an open environment, open office. And uh, when people would ask him, you know, how, how you... How can you do that? He said, well, it's not my job to lead this business today. I have a whole horde of executives prepared to do that. It's my job to think about where we're going tomorrow and then figure out how I can convey that inspiration to people to think beyond next week or next month or next quarter. So, you know, it's examples like that that sort of started me thinking about what leaders actually do. And then when I came to the U.S. the first time, which is all back in 76, 78, um, I started to read a lot of Warren Bennis's work, um, particularly at the time when you know, he was talking a great deal about transformational leadership versus transactional. And that started to get me thinking that, yeah, this transformational leadership is, is not the run-of-the-mill behaviors that I see executives engaging in. They're, they're engaging in the transactional. You know, I do this for you, you do this for me, and we'll both be okay. And that that's not why people come to work with a passion uh, it's it's why they come to work and just punch the clock and go home and take the paycheck. And that that is not what's going to drive change in an inspirational way. It's not going to energize people. Um, they're not going to want to put 150% of themselves into the workplace. So Warren Bennis is writing and all the papers he's written and then latterly getting into the whole ideas of motivation, building on David McClellan's work and working with George West out in Colorado, that, you know, tapping into what gets people out of bed in the morning, what gets them fired up, what gets them really energized and excited is infectious. I mean, to the point I think you made earlier on, really, you know, mm-hmm. if you have an irritated, tired executive, he's going to have an irritated and tired team. And if you have an energized, inspirational executive, that's infectious with people and they 
really want to work for this person and they really want to go where that person is suggesting that the team goes together. And so the, the whole notion of how you tap into an executive's motives, what really they have a passion for, that was the sort of the next tranche of inspiration that I, I took with me. And then I've tried to cobble these together and take that motivational piece and the transformational leadership piece and really drive that into the pragmatic, practical business world. And how would people running uh, production lines, how would people running quality assurance departments, running sales forces, how would they take this and how would they deploy it into their world as opposed to just leaving it sitting up there in the air somewhere and trying to get inspiration from the atmosphere? So let's go back to the idea that you had originally started with, which were these contextual leadership roles and why personal mastery and self-awareness are so important as competencies for leaders today. I think the context is all important because I, I fundamentally believe that you can be a great leader in context A and then you can be transferred to context B and apply the same rules and totally fall flat on your face. Uh, you have to look and listen and learn about the context, see what the situational needs of that context are, and then figure out how to take the essence of yourself and redeploy that in a different way. So, in other words, there are no ten golden rules of leadership that can be applied anywhere by rote and have the same impact. You have to feed off the environment, feed off the needs of the people, deal with the personalities you're, you're dealing with, and then, through the knowledge of yourself, with confidence then still be yourself but inspire these people in a different way. And I think that's very, very important right now with the, the new generation coming into the work, the Gen X and, and Gen Y. Um, I think they saw the baby boomers as having kind of sold out in a way because they would see people my age as having, you know, sold themselves out for the greenback, um, often left broken families behind because they were fundamentally throwing themselves into work. They were never at home. And they, they fundamentally don't want to do that. They want to be themselves. They've realized that uh, they're going to spend a huge amount of time at work and that they, they only want to work in a place which has the values and the <laughs> ethics that, that match their view of what life should be about. And so they're looking for leaders who are integrous. They're looking for leaders who are transparent, uh, you know, whole people um, whom they can relate to and they can believe in and, and are not executives just giving them the party line or the, the company doctrine. And so I think the self-awareness is hugely important for, uh, for leaders. I mean, Kathy and I in our work together, we've, we've, there's a concept that I use a lot called self-monitoring, mm. which is about an executive's ability to understand real time how he or she is coming across to people and the impact that's having and then being able to take what they're doing and change it marginally or even dramatically to really have an impact on this person that they're trying to influence from a position that that person can relate to rather than, in other words, it's, it's not just being always on transmit. It's, it's really understanding the audience and playing that audience and getting the messages across. And I think you can only do that when you are highly aware of yourself uh, and, and really understand the impact you're making. So, Alistair, uh, it is interesting just hearing what you're saying, given your, your dad's uh, dictum that you don't have to enjoy work, and then just the comments you're just making about the Gen X and Gen Ys, you know, that they, it's come a long way that they, they really want to enjoy work. They don't want to leave the best part of themselves in their car. You know, they, they really want to have an integrated, um, worthwhile day. And then the things that you're saying just around uh, the personal mastery and personal monitoring, um, 
tell me, why do you think when you are dealing with that, why do you think uh, more leaders don't have some of this personal mastery, the monitoring, maybe the, the self-awareness, and, and are you seeing things change? Well, I, th- I think um, to answer the second part of the question first, I think they are changing, but they're changing very slowly. Um, I think what causes the lack of self-mastery is that many executives rise through the silo ranks, and, and that is changing a little bit because executives are being moved sideways as well as upwards as part of their promotion process. But when you've come up through the silo of a function and you've gained your leadership from the position of, of a conferred authority position, as I call it. In other words, you've got technical expertise in the function, uh, and therefore you've done the jobs that people have, uh, below you are doing, and therefore you feel that you have a knowledge base which allows you to um, be all-seeing, all-knowing, if you will. Um, then when you get to a more general leadership position that crosses silos, I find executives oftentimes are lost because they've, they've applied their leadership from a technical authority position, not from an influence position. And there's a huge difference between those two leadership roles. And so I think that's often the time when somebody's been in a, a, a functional silo for maybe 15 years, and all of a sudden they're in a more business general role, they, they find themselves lost. And, and that's when the uh, emotional intelligence would really cut in if it was there to any great extent. And I think that's where Kathy and I often do a lot of our work to help people understand how they can be highly self-aware, how they can take themselves out of the conferred authority or functional authority position by virtue of expertise. And that's very challenging because to, to relate that to the motives work that I do, what you're seeing in the functional silo role is heavy application of what I would call the motive to achieve. In other words, it's get tasks done, um, grind things out, um, produce the numbers, produce the results. And when you move to a more general position, you're fundamentally deploying the power motive, not in an abusive sense, and the word power has different connotations for different people, but more in what I would call a social power sense, which in other words is is producing something which is for the greater good of the business, it's moving forward for the benefit of everybody and for the benefit of the customers. Um, It's not so much about achieving tasks today as it is about creating a pathway towards a desirable future. And that's all about crystallizing for people where they're all going, why this is going to be a better place tomorrow than it is today, and then influencing often from not very high authority position Mm. to capture people's imaginations with that. And that is a very different role that executives have to play. It's stepping right out of their previous comfort zones. And a lot of my work is helping them understand how they can be influential without having that, you know, let me tell you what to do because I've been there before uh, situation. And uh, it's like you've turned a light bulb on. They suddenly can see how they can be themselves and behave in a different role and capture people's imagination and create the passion and the energy that I was talking about just now. That's that's great, and I can hear your your passion, uh, Alistair, as you talk about that. And I'm sure, you know, given all of us are, are coaches, we have uh, different experiences. That yesterday, I was talking with a physician who is the head of a, a transplant um, center, and exactly like you're saying, his technical expert, expertise is in surgery. And the conversation we have over and over is your role now is completely different than surgery, the hierarchy, here's the technical expertise, and how do you influence this whole 
group of other physicians, nurses, coordinators. And, and the rewarding part is um, this person really is getting it and, and doing a wonderful job. Well, I, I, can, I can give you a very personal story from that point of view. About three years ago, I had uh, some cancer surgery, uh, which fortunately was successful and I'm completely clear. But uh, I remember um, lying on the, on the table being just about to be anesthetized, and my surgeon was directing all the traffic in terms of the operating room, uh-huh. the, anesth- the anesthetists. He'd already previously directed all the, the measurement devices that had got me to the, the diagnostic position that I, that I was now in. And I spent quite a lot of time afterwards talking with him and, and, and asking about how he had become a leader of not just the surgery, the ER, but a leader of the whole system that had created the opportunity for me to be very quickly diagnosed, treated, and then made better. And, and when you talk to a doctor about that, a good one, it's not just about, you know, I'm this specialist, egotistic surgeon that just knows how to cut people up and fix them and everybody else is supposed to do what I tell them. It's really a relationship management set of expertises that this person has that gets things done quickly in a very traumatic environment often, um, and and with people who are in dire need of something, and and so I, from personal experience, you know, I have a huge respect right. for some of the more senior surgeons in hospitals where you know things have to be dealt with very very quickly. Right, right. And leadership, no, nobody is bleeding to death typically. That's right. So um, this is leadership development news with Dr. Kathy Greenberg and, and Dr. Riley Nadler. We're talking with Alistair Robertson, and we'll be right back after the break. Bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speed. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, and you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. 
The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, welcome back to... Leadership Development News with Kathy Greenberg and Riley Nadler. Today's guest is Alistair Roberts, and we were just talking about personal mastery and self-awareness, Alistair, and how it is that some leaders just don't get it. They don't understand how important self-awareness is to their overall success, to the success of the part of the organization that they're responsible for, and for the industry that they're leading. And I want to just bring about a couple of um, memories here and see if, if they match to yours. Uh, one of the things that I know we did during our time at Accenture is we tried to promote the best behaving leaders with the best competencies that they could demonstrate in the market as a very important, if you will, mix of leadership skills. So we started rewarding people. If you'd look at the X and Y axis of a, you know, a typical uh, four by four grid with behavior on one side and competence on another, and we tried to get them in that upper right quadrant, you know, increasing their behavior and competence concurrently. Can you talk a little bit about that and what experience you've had with helping people change their behavior using tools like that? Well, I think that in a way that's a little akin to the uh, the two by two matrix that Jack Welsh used to talk about, which is values on one axis and results on the other. And that what you want is the desirable position where people share the values that are important to your company and to your community uh, and deliver the results par excellence. But the most difficult people to deal with are the ones that produce the results but don't share the values because they fundamentally undermine the culture of the organization. And they become, in some cases, extreme cases, they become almost abusive of people. And I think that is phenomenally important today with the Gen X and Gen Y situation we were talking about a few moments ago where... Um, talented people will come into a business and where they see the values that they thought they joined and signed up for being eroded potentially by high performance who just have no, no interest in building a, a, a social ethic of excellent values in a company, they will just defect time and time again. And so um, we're seeing that in, in a lot of the oil and gas business right now. People are moving at 18-month to two-year intervals because they don't find a place that they can find shared values, and that is causing a huge talent drain. And so what you're left with is a a very large number of senior people approaching retirement, baby boomers, um, and and nobody to replace them unless there's a value set that people find attractive. And and that, that I think, is why the behavioral side is hugely important, and it's not just about competency. It's not just about intellectual stars. It's about people who are prepared to invest of themselves in other people Mm -hmm. and create environments of nurturing, create environments where people can be developed, because that is going to be the talent magnet for the future. You know, Alistair, as you were were saying that, it may be interesting for our listeners. Um, So I'm sure you have, you and, and myself and Kathy have plenty of experience with 
somebody who has that bad behavior, but they're very, very competent. Any kind of uh, ways to, to help influence them? I mean, we, Kathy was talking about the reward system, but any um, kind of examples that you may have of someone that is very competent but really had bad behavior and you were able to, able to kind of turn them around, what, what seemed to help? Well, I can give you a, a live example from about a year ago. I was working with a, a company in the entertainment and hospitality business, and um, this top team was, was having tremendous problems turning their business around. The, the profit line was going the wrong way. The, the signing up of clients and customers was going the wrong way. And when I started working with them, you know, people warned me about a couple of executives and said, you know, these guys throw things in meetings, and they, they swear a huge amount. You say, are you, are you sure you want to get into this? Mm. And, and when I got to work with them, I, you know, and, and, and did the usual thing of interviewing each of these individuals in turn and then pulling them together and creating experiential development events with them. What was happening was that they were all working in their silos, doing more and more and more of what they thought was the, the right thing because that had got them to where they were. And the more things didn't turn around, they'd move from just thinking everybody else was some sort of lazy layabout to, to actually throwing rocks at other people, metaphorically mm-hmm. speaking. And, and so they were all burning 16 hours a day in the office and all cranking out all individually what they'd always done. And now their self-esteem was down because they're you know, perpetuating what they'd always done wasn't working. Uh, they were now transferring the object of their animosity to other people. Um, and so they were, they were in a huge black hole. And, and frankly, the way out of it was to have them, first of all, become very self-aware. And I worked with each of them as individuals to have them realize what it was they had a passion for and how that could maybe be deployed to help the team as a whole. Then got them together for three days and had them really look themselves and each other in the face and in the mirror and realize that they were fundamentally missing the boat. And they were being suspicious of talents that others had got and they weren't using them. They were... Over, um, over-propagating some of their talents when they should have been trying to deploy themselves in different ways. And, and I had them basically look at their business on its worst, worst day, realize what that was like and how bad it was. And then I had them move into the position of being a, a venture capital company coming in and turning it around and having to redeploy themselves rapidly to deliver results within a year. And they went through a huge crisis of confidence because they had all sorts of great ideas, but then they fundamentally were not able to think about that from outside the box and think about how they could turn it around. And they basically reneged on every idea they had until we went into the personal mastery part of the agenda and we had them become affirming of each other and affirming of themselves. And then having gone through that affirmation process, they started to use each other for, the, for different aspects of their motives, different aspects of their emotional intelligence, and then we brought them back to the task at hand and had them rethink it and reconstruct it. And they literally, in two days, came out phenomenally fired up about how the business could be and what their part of it was, and they, it changed their whole behavior pattern in terms of how they used each other, how they sought each other out for advice, um, how they went with open questions and they weren't afraid to say, I'm really struggling with this, whereas previously they'd been frightened to say that because they thought they'd be labeled as weak or a weak link of some sort. And so the self-awareness really had a huge impact in changing their behavior pattern and changing their outlook on themselves and each other. 
Alistair, your story just reminded me of a movie I saw recently. I'm not sure if anybody's seen the movie yet called P.S. I Love You. But uh, Hilary Swank and Harry Connick Jr. are featured in the movie. And Harry plays a very lovable character who has a very minor problem, which is he can't keep himself from saying things that are honest. <laughs> right. And so in the movie, he uh, has a little interaction with Hilary Swank where he tells her things that are much more intimate that he should be sharing with her and in the middle of the process explains to her that he has this minor dysfunction, but he takes medication for it. <laughs> and uh, I can't help but laugh about the many instances that I have had in companies similar to the one you just shared where you're working with good-hearted people who have some very minor behavioral quirks that can often become impediments to their ability to be great leaders. But once they actually get the opportunity to make a self-correction, understand how that small correction really impacts their ability to be credible and included in decisions and influential in the overall scheme of things, they find that the opportunity to self-correct is not that painful. Right, and sometimes those behavioral dysfunctions or sometimes the extremes of behavior are actually a safety valve of the passion they have because it's kind of a volcano. It's got to blow out somewhere. And if you can take those dysfunctions or those, those passionate displays which are coming out sideways, if you will, and redeploy them for the good of the team, for the good of the business, you've retained the energy, but you've just got it going in a positive direction now rather than in a negative one. I'm also reminded, talking about movies, I, I, it, it, it's, um, my kids are all big fans of, uh, of Harry Potter. Uh-huh. And I remember there's a piece, I think it's at the end of the second movie, about the, uh, the serpent. And um, Harry is in Dumbledore's office, and he's worried because he's missed so many lessons. He's worried about whether he's, he's going to be able to catch up and whether his you know, intellectual development of of himself is, is going to be uh, you know, up, up there with the other students. And Dumbledore says to him, you know, Harry, success in life is not so much about what you know. It's about the choices you make. And that is right in the emotional intelligence right. quadrant for me. That's, that's great. My, fam- my family is also into the, the Harry Potter. And, I, and hearing the, the uh, two of you talking, I think one of the things that, that's on the cutting edge that Kathy and I, you and I would talk about in, in other shows is all the brain neuroscience and that the brain um, is constantly hardwiring things. And I think your story, Alistair, is you kind of had to first break down some of those defective uh, dysfunctional patterns that are hardwired and then really bring in some new behaviors, them connecting with each other, which in a sense does uh, re-hardwire the brain in a different way. Right, and, and to a certain extent it is, uh, and Kathy knows this, it's the breakdown to break through. Yes, yeah. Well, this is fascinating, and, and this, we're going to go to our next uh, break here. This is uh, Leadership Development News with Dr. Cassie Greenberg and Dr. Rowan Nadler. We're interviewing Alistair Robertson about leadership and personal mastery, and we'll be right back. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. 
Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion, make sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News with Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. Our guest today is Alistair Robertson. We've just been talking about some of the unfortunate um, but kind of humorous dysfunctional behaviors that leaders can fall into. And what we're going to talk about now, Alistair, I hope, is some of the best practices that you've experienced for actually developing leaders. At the beginning of the program, Relly and I discussed some of the statistics, some of the evidentiary scientific feedback that we've been able to collect in the open market on leadership about statistics that show us that, in fact, improving leadership makes a big difference in a company's bottom line. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, first of all, I think um, the best way of developing leaders is in situ. It's experiential. Um, And it's a combination of self-awareness being raised um, and shared so that people build trust with each other about about who the other person, who the other people are, and what they have to bring, and 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 that they can 
fundamentally get the answer to the question as to whether they're interpreting what they see as behavior correctly or incorrectly. Um, and then secondly, it's to take that new knowledge and that new trust and immediately deploying it to real business problems, not you know, made-up ones or stuff from a textbook, but real business problems, and to coach them through the process that they can use to redeploy themselves in a different way to address those problems. That, to me, is, is, the, is the crucible within which I'm working when I'm working with a leadership team. And uh, one, you can measure. Uh, it's very easy to measure, um, for instance, speed to, with, speed to uh, production of, uh, of a deliverable or um, time used in meetings productively as opposed to wasted um, or new ideas taken up as opposed to being suspected and put on the back shelf. Um, and there's, there's some good research which, which has some very high percentage differences between those things which people can, can cling on to and say, yeah, we can measure this. We can make a difference. The other side of it is, is that trusting and sharing that I mentioned just now. I'll give you one example from a big company I worked with five years ago. And there was one individual who was running a segment of the business whose whole style was devil's advocacy. He was challenging everything the team was doing. And everybody was suspicious of them and said, oh, you know, Steve has a, you know, his personal agenda. He's, he's on his own trip here. And when I went through the motivational work with, with him and the team, and he shared this notion that his devil's advocacy was because he was worried about the product that the team was producing being somehow unable to hold water. It was not, it was not sufficient. And he wasn't just trying to be smart and throw rocks at other people. He was challenging because he thought the team could do better, including himself. And this was like lifting a veil, and they now saw him as somebody who was able to help them build robust outputs as opposed to somebody who was challenging from a suspect position. And they started using him in the role of designated challenger um, and once they'd realized that he was on the same team as they were. And previous, previously, they weren't able to do that because they thought he had this hidden agenda. Alpha, that's, that's a great example. I've seen that uh, often and and typically, the team needs somebody like that, and I usually try to say to them, can you not have it come from your mouth, from your personality, you know, and, but use a, a different stakeholder? You know, the end user may feel this way, or people on our team may have some problems with this. But I think what happens, and this is a, one of these, a good example of a micro-initiative, the, the people, it's always from their own mouth, and it gets associated with them as a person, and you lose the ability of seeing that, seeing the idea aspect, and sometimes these quick changes about how they express it can allow the idea to, to stand without the personality influencing it. Yeah, I completely agree, and I, th I think that ability to embrace different styles of thinking, different styles of expression is so important. There's, a, there's another facet that I help executive teams come to terms with, which I call um, social desirability, um, and, and social desirability in, in my world is, is when People suppress what they really want to say and what they really want to contribute because they think the environment into which they're contributing it wouldn't tolerate it and they might be thought of as somehow bad people or not part of the club or not fitting. And therefore, they suppress what they might contribute because they're worried about being seen as some sort of outlier. Mm -hmm. And I work a lot with teams to help them understand if there is a high element of that social desirability present and what impact it's having on the lack of ideas or lack of contribution they may be having around the table and then try and replace that with self-monitoring, which is, okay, you may think differently, you may be expressing differently than me, but doesn't stop me respecting you, doesn't stop me embracing what you have to say. I'm not going to sit and think, oh, you're not part of our little club here 
Um, and and you, you have to change the, the perception. Perception colors everything. Mm-hmm. One of the things that strikes me is uh, we're just talking here about some of the less positive aspects of leadership behavior, but how easily it is to shift that negative energy around an individual's impact to a very positive level of energy around that individual's leadership capacity if they are, in fact, in the right role, doing the right job, and applying the right talent and motivations. And and feeling validated for that. I think that's a key in, in the work that we all see out in the public domain because often we walk into organizations where leaders have not been given the right roles at the right time and often are stressed and stretched into leadership roles that they could probably do a lot better if they'd been given support, um, some coaching tools, and some opportunities to understand the context and the uh, perhaps motivations of others that they're working with that would make them so much more productive. Yes, exactly. And and doing that, uh, giving them those opportunities and experiences early in their career so that they realize those differences are there to be embraced and that there is you can have difference and still have respect and trust uh, rather than wait until you're in your mid-40s and put into a general role and then having like a slap in the face with it. You know, um, Alistair, we wanna, as we're winding down to the last part, we started off kind of asking about some of your greatest teachers. And we also, I think, Kathy and I, we want to try to delve into kind of who, you know, who do we have and who can our listeners get a better sense for. And so one of the... One of the questions is just this idea about finding balance, and you were talking about how the, the Gen X and Gen Y have that as a value. But how about how about for yourself? Are there some personal practices, experiences you've had that really seem to help you find balance? Well, I, I was thinking about that question before we came on the air, and I think the, the place I get most of my balance is from my kids mm. um, for, for two reasons. One is because they are sponges for development. Um, and they they are great to work with, and they I'm I'm into sports, and they're into sports. So I spend a lot of time at ice rinks and soccer fields uh-huh. for my kids' hockey and soccer. Um, but one of the things that strikes me about them and their attitude is, is two things. Right now, in the middle of their the sort of educational development, my my daughter's thirteen, my son's ten. One is that they they typically come into things where there's a lot of newness a lot of different things happening, a lot of opportunities, and they come to it with a, I wonder what would happen if, or wouldn't it be great if? And you compare that with what you see around an executive table, which is, oh, well, yeah, tried that before, didn't work. Um, There's a lot of baggage with executives. And I actually use my kids with executive teams and say, look, if you could just come to situations just like young kids Uh do, And, and come with that freshness of, of, of approach and uh, that willingness to explore, then you would, you would be doing yourselves a lot of favors if you could somehow turn that around. The other aspect of it is that um, there's, a, there's a, a sense of energy in kids around um, just trying things out for the first time, um, just exploring experientially, tactilely, you know, what, what, what could be done, what, what, might, be, what might be important. And... That in doing that, it's not about being right as much as it is about reaching out with an opinion and seeing how people react to it. 
And my daughter particularly is going through this stage about where, you know, in certain aspects of education, it's about being right and wrong, and it's math, it's chemistry, it's science, or whatever. In others, it's forming a hypothesis, um, putting an opinion out there, being willing to express something which is maybe counter to the flow of many of your, your colleagues or, or fellow students. And, have, and having that self-confidence and self-esteem that's able to do that in what is dangerous territory is very much a, a throwback to what we were talking about just now with that you know, social desirability and self-monitoring with executives. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Well, as you were saying, my kids are about the same age. The, the persistence, and going back to what we said as far as leaders and having passion, you know, uh, my kids, I'm sure, same with yours, they never take no the first time. I mean, and they're persistent, that passion of being clear about what they want, and then somehow the, the shifting, as you're saying, around social desirability, that somehow we lose some of that. Right, exactly. Well, we're, I, find, I find that particularly in, in not-for-profits where you've got people around the table who are there because they're volunteering rather than because they're being paid, and that's a, a huge place you can lose passion very quickly if you don't have the right leadership dynamic. Right. You know, Alistair, we're, we're getting down to the end here. Um, if people want to get back in, in touch with you about any, anything that you said, can you give us your email and maybe your telephone number? Yeah, um, people can reach me on email at leadership53 at comcast.net. That's C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net. Or my telephone number is 978-263-5863. And that's East Coast because I'm in Boston. I'll be very happy to uh, take people's questions by email or by phone call. That's great. Well, well Kathy, um, I'm glad as we bring us down to our our first show together that we're going to have many more over over the year. And I just wanted to say um, the next show we're going to actually interview a president uh, who has very, very high emotional intelligence and try to glean from him exactly what are the practices, what are the kind of hands-on skills like we heard from Alistair that the listeners can hear. And, Kathy, you want to kind of bring us to the close here? Oh, it's been a pleasure uh, reconnecting with you, Alistair, after so many years of uh, not having worked together on a daily basis over there um, across the pond and here in the States. Well, thank you guys for inviting me on the show. It's been fantastic to be here. Well, it's been been terrific, and I think uh, Raleigh and I are going to be um, very excited about continuing to uh, track what you're doing out there, and perhaps over the next year we will hear from you again. I would love that. That'd be great. It's been great talking to you. So this is Leadership Development News um, signing off for this show, and we'll uh, tune in with you again next week. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel. 